Greetings listeners and welcome to another edition of Best of Worst of British in our new monthly schedule. Once every month we're going to be giving you a review of one of the most reviled or degenerated or held with disdain films to have ever come from the United Kingdom and see if it is truly worthy of that status. And by we, I mean your co-host Lorcan Mullen, and with me are my other two co-hosts, in order of who wants it the most, number one. (laughs) And that's why we are where we are, gentlemen. (laughs) Alright, I'll do it, I'll do it. So, uh... Ah, you want it the most, loser. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, I'm Captain Tom Hodkinson on the good ship Misery Guts. And I am, um... What's one above Captain? Commander? Lieutenant. Lieutenant Bell. Uh, Operation Bell Boat. <laughs> well, it's a nautical theme that's not quite nautical as far as the seas, but there's a lot of canals on display with this film that we're watching today. It's the 1973 Can't Decide If It's a Musical film starring Cliff Richard. It's Take Me High. <laughs> Make way. Cliff is back. And you're in for a high young time. Richard is back in a grand new musical with some brand new young ones and some famous old favourites in a story of rivalry behind the boardroom scene. At the end of the year, it's either you or me for branch director. Here's to the action. Couldn't he have just turned it off? Completely winning. Cliff is back as a man of means and a man of property, taking us out and about, raising our spirits skyscraper high. He's a man of the people. If you've got money, brother, share it, he says. You mean we should use Cunningham's money for the city cross? It's only money. It may be only money to you, mate. It's blood and sweat to me. It's only money. It won't make the grass grow. It's only money. It won't make the wind blow. He's a young executive, out to get rich quick. Hugo, the sneak at the keyhole. You're just the sort of creep I always thought you were. And he's a banker, wheeler dealing, guilt edge style. It's a musical treat for connoisseurs. A rich feast for gourmets. Let's try it on the wife. Take the wife. Take the family. Have a Brumburger of a time. Brumburger. Brumburger. So as you throw the door, you will know it's been worthwhile. You get the best of it, and you'll get it 
and join the hunting. Come and share the loving. Come and join the band. Well, if your back is strong and sturdy, you can lend a helping hand. And if you want to play our brand of music, brother, won't you join the band? Twelve song hits for the price of a cinema ticket. It's only money, Midnight Blue, winning the anti-brotherhood of man. Why? Life, the game, Bromberger Duet. Join the band, the word is love, the Bromberger, take me high. Take yourselves to see Cliff Richard in Take Me High. So I picked this film out after finding about its uh, existence through a... It was screened a couple of years ago at the Flatpak Festival. I really wanted to go and see that then, but I didn't get the chance to. Now, Flatpak is usually down the more artsy-fartsy end of film festivals. I don't know, have you been to any of the stuff they've done, Tom? No, I've seen it advertised plenty of times, especially when I used to be a patron of the Electric Cinema. But I've never fully attended one, no. I love that you didn't even bother well, asking me that. I thought I'd go in order of who wanted it more. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, just he's, he's never going to go. Just don't do it. Will Michael go to a film festival or he just sits home in his pants watching Netflix and eating Cheerios? Who knows? I've moved on to Now TV now, thank you. <laughs> I've changed as a person. I've grown. You completed Netflix, did you? Well, I've, uh, I'm, I'm just rewatching The Wire and now uh, Boardwalk Empire. Were you one of those tossers when it first happened with The Wire that you were like, yes. oh, you haven't seen The Wire? I'm or the, the... still doing that. Yeah, I still do that to most people. Um, I, I meet in any form of life, you know, um, insurance salesmen um, <laughs> on the bus stops. You know. Mormons. The, the four and five-year-olds <laughs> you're now teaching. <laughs> yes, it, it's actually, uh, well, they get they, they tell the parents, the parents get it, you know. Um, <laughs> Hello, little Billy, tell your mum and dad about the wire. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, rather than me saying and repeating it all the time, it's actually just easier if I just print on watch the wire in everything, every bit of item of clothing I own, so... Well, as you can tell, we are all three very sophisticated individuals who like films, or TV shows at least, like Along the Lines of the Wire. But when it came to a sort of musical from 1973 where Cliff Richard decided to both, well not really leave, but on the, as a side hustle to his day job as a high-flying investment banking fixer-upper of deals... He also decides to set up a burger bar in Birmingham. How was our initial reactions towards the concept when they heard it and then the film when they saw it? Let's start with you, Tom. I'll go back to the one who wants it more again, okay. (laughs) Honestly, I couldn't have given any less of a toss about the story or about the scenario that was playing out. All I knew is I was going to watch a Cliff Richard film and when you watch a Cliff Richard film, you can almost guarantee it's just going to be an album with some visuals in it. You ignore the story and you just sit there and just go, sing for me, Clifford. Sing your little (laughs) shitty heart out. Go on. How about you, Mike? Were you excited to watch some Cliff? Sorry, that's uh, Lieutenant Mike. I'm sorry, Lieutenant Mike. Thank you. At ease. Can I be Major Tom? Would that be too much? (laughs) That's quite a step up, very suddenly. What have you done to earn those stripes since the last minute? (laughs) scratched my leg yeah i loved uh the idea of this it's old birmingham which is funny because they just keep knocking it down uh, <laughs> and it's about cliff richard and burgers so i fully on board it is, it is board. weird to see a film 
that has 70s Birmingham in it because it looks so familiar, but at the same time completely alien. But did you notice? I mean, this is obviously very Birmingham centric because where we live, where we live. Yeah. But they're knocking down ex- and building the same things now. They're even knocking down and building. <laughs> They've not got it right, you know. In in fifty years, you're right that. because you're seeing the central library in this film, and at that point, it was less than five years old, I guess, when they would have filmed mm. it. And they brought it down, and it does amaze me that there are buildings in Birmingham, like major buildings in Birmingham, that lived a shorter life than many of my relatives have done. That my relatives would have been alive and aware and at the opening, possibly, of these places and also been around and not even at pension age by the time they've been knocked down and replaced by a new one. So I just hope when they take down the new Birmingham library in 40 years' time... But we'll be in our sixties. Yeah, you know, it's not that it's not that far off, really. Well, you know, like most modern architecture now is just we've got a shit ton of glass and nothing to do with it. So I'm really worried if there's ever like if they do the controlled implosion. I'm just worried about shards of glass flying into everyone's faces. <laughs> um, yeah, but you're right. I think what's really fun about looking at this version of Birmingham is I'm always reminded of this great line about. What the big mistake the councillors made in the 50s and 60s in modernising Birmingham was they were all obsessed with like the roads and, and the access ways. And someone, I can't remember who it was that wrote it, said what they did was they made it really easy for you to drive through Birmingham very quickly, but didn't give you many reasons to want to stick around. Yeah, <laughs> and now it's more all about the, the pedestrianisation of Birmingham rather than the motorised part of it. It was just fascinating to watch like the roads that I walk up and down every day as I go to and from work, even during a pandemic, I'm still fucking working. I'm still walking <laughs> up and down these roads, and I'm thinking, I'm stood roughly where Cliff Richard drove down mm. in a parade. Yes. Not, not some yeah. f- <laughs> some 50 years ago. It's a bizarre <laughs> thing when you think about it like that, but also it's like seeing certain monuments or seeing the old council building that's still there in Victoria Square, seeing the town hall, seeing the memorial building by the library, seeing the ramp up to New Street. It's it's all, like I said, very familiar, but also very alien because he also goes down Corporation Street and w- runs past Rackham's. I'm like, <laughs> well, that's House of Fraser now, isn't it? Eh? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't, <laughs> doesn't time move things on, boys? Doesn't it? Doesn't it make a twat of us all time? What's also funny is that this is pre-hipsterdom, and it's when he goes into the Gas Street Basin, mm. you know, now it's like this sort of nighttime hot spot, and they've done so much with the canals. Plenty of bars and clubs. And yeah, that, bars and... and restaurants and all sorts of stuff. But at this point, in the planning, they basically kind of wanted to hide the canals away from the general public at that point. And it wasn't... I remember when I when the library, the new library, opened up, uh, by the time this is released, it's the old library, and they'll have announced another library coming. <laughs> but um, they, uh, I watched a video from 1984 about the developments they were going to do, especially on Broad Street and the canals. And they were saying how they were going to build the what's now the ICC, the Convention Center. And I guess at that point, all that would have been there would have been the Rep Theater, really. But it's funny, like you say, you know all these things. Like some of it you'll recognize from your time. Some of it will have already been paved over or whatever by the time we were old enough to go there. And it's almost now getting harder and harder to remember what it used to look like. So I'm appreciative of this film's existence just for that, really. And uh, like you say, like seeing some of the new, some of the buildings that we can recognize, there's some of the big council tower block flats that are popping up. But what's funny is that 
it's still early days, so they're just like little islands unto themselves, and there's nothing around them, whereas now there's a lot more around them all. But, it, it, like, the city centre still looks, this, like, wide-panning cityscape shot you see at the end. It, for, for like, the second biggest city in the UK, it still seemed quite sparse and not very built up yet, whereas now, you know, I mean, we're only however long into it, they really want to make it look really swish and impressive, uh... Whether, although what I do love is that we just invest, the, this council just invested millions and millions into building up the new paradise and like, let's build loads of office blocks and restaurants. Oh, what's happened? Well, a virus has spread across the nation that's made working from home look a lot more preferable <laughs> and no one really wants to go out to eat anymore. <laughs> we invested wisely again. <laughs> you know, unless some of those meals are half price but at the Chancellor's expense. Other than that, we don't want to eat out. <laughs> Um, but let's let's quickly talk about the film, just our initial thoughts of the film, and then we'll do a little bit of a rundown. I don't I don't want to be it's 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 a very disjointed film, I'll say that. But I also will say straight away, I didn't hate it like I hate a lot of the things that we watched. But I didn't. There was nothing in it to love, but there was not that much in it to hate. Like you say, the Tommy just sort of washed over you, and not much really happens. Yeah, it 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 just it was a film that exists, and that's the the best I can say about it. It's not bad. It's bad, but it's not offensive. It's not bad. It's not laughably bad. It's not, like, so bad it makes me angry or so bad it makes me, you know, happy or anything like that. It's not good by any means of the imagination. It just exists. Yeah. But I don't quite get it, because obviously there was an album released to go alongside it, I assume. Um, Yes. But you wouldn't go and buy the album, because you've just seen it all. (laughs) <laughs> like you know, I don't, I don't get any of it. It's not an ego project saying, "Look at me, I can do acting." Because he's not really acting; he's just doing music videos. Well, that's what he'd done for like fifteen years at this point, hadn't he? You know, yeah, summer holiday and everything else. I, what I didn't appreciate about Cliff at all, I've gone on a real big Beatles trip recently. Quite a few books about the Beatles and sort of Beatles splitting up and things. And they basically, Cliff tried to break America first, and they just copied what went wrong for Cliff, and it worked for the Beatles essentially. Because he was out in America like five years previously to them, and that was like I didn't I didn't quite appreciate that Cliff was this ridiculously big star. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So like, even in the seventies, he would have been like fucking hell. That's Cliff Richard, you know? Yeah, he was our Elvis really uh, mm. at that point. But he was, and I think very quickly they realised he's nowhere near as dangerous as Elvis was. There was no need to suddenly send him off onto his national duty to keep everything but in is mind. This the equivalent of like because Elvis did a lot of shit films. If he is that case, is it? Yeah. From what I read, the album got released later in the year to very, very minimal fanfare or sales. You couldn't get a copy of the film for so long. It only got released, was it on Blu-ray or DVD a couple of years ago? So yeah, it, it kind of got revived and picked up and re-released. And to be honest with you, it it, it kind of shows like you when you hear Summer Holiday, you go, oh yeah, I know that song and I know this because it's... It, it still get plays around, and you know you still have memories of of songs like that. And then you have, hear of "Take Me High," and everyone just looks at you like you've just sort of spoken Portuguese. And it's hard to put that in the same vein as his previous work, really. Yeah, this was sort of in his career nadir in a way. This this sort of represented the lowest point for him at that at that stage. And then he made an album in, come out in 75 or 76, and I think that was the album with Devil Woman in it. I might be wrong there. Yeah, he had to basically reinvent himself, yeah. Yeah, that was basically his big comeback. So this was 
basically the end of that time of Cliff trying to be what he'd always been, which was the heartthrob, pop star, rock and roll star, movie star, like the British Elvis, and, you know, by 73, the Elvis Elvis is a bloated mess in <laughs> in Las Vegas, so it's not really much, which is not, which is not what Cliff is, Cliff is that 50s, 60s, 70s level of thinness that you just don't see anymore. <laughs> in anyone even the really in shape fit people are not that th- as thin as cliff richard is in this movie <laughs> yeah like in terms of in, in terms of body shape sizes some people are apples pears triangles he was literally a straight line from top to bottom <laughs> he was a straight hit with a haircut you know his haircut was i couldn't yeah. quite understand he... like, the hair didn't seem to fit what the head was from what i could see it seemed like the hair was like entirely different to what his skull shape seems like it should have been i don't know if that was something i guess it was all moose back in those days and you're lifting your hair up to make you make you several inches taller than you are it seemed like the human version of the hair you get on lego men yes <laughs> you just pop it off and pop it back on again and what while we're discussing the look <laughs> his suit with the massive purple bow tie oh my god his color coordinated purple and brown suits it looked like he'd been dressed by his mum it was so dumb. He might have been. He can't. He can't. You know, prove he wasn't. <laughs> I was hoping that he'd turn up in all the different co- types of ugly colours that people don't wear for suits. <laughs> you know, because he wore he wore a, pu- a like a like a light purple, a dark brown number. <laughs> I was waiting for like puce or the two colours that uh, Harry and Lloyd wear in Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> you know, like the the powder blue and the bright orange. <laughs> I think. What sums this up, and I, I did watch it in one sitting, although I did do my lateral flow test halfway through, so I did shove something up my nostril just to get me through it. <laughs> but I can't remember any of that, and I watched it 24 hours ago. It's that nothingy. Oh, I yeah, like you were saying about the songs. <laughs> Love the songs. Solid songs. Well, for me, outside of the opening track that basically sums up the whole theme of the film, I couldn't really remember anything. I knew the one was called Concrete City, which you seem to like. It's called actually called Winning. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, which... Yeah, good, good. Check it out. That's uh, yeah, not a bad song. Again, like the film, they weren't offensively bad. They were just a nothing, and I couldn't, I mm. couldn't recall it. And the only thing that I remember about them was trying to figure out is Cliff singing this in this moment. Let's try and get it through in a sort of a chronological order. So it does open with Cliff Richard just singing a, a song to the camera. So it's I don't know, it's the overture with extreme <laughs> close-ups as well. Yes, too extreme. I thought I would read the lyrics out because I do think the lyrics basically sum up what the theme of the film is supposed to be, I think. Which is, when you shake the hand of friendship, you begin to understand why there's nothing like a friendly hand. Uh. Once you had a cup of kindness, once somebody touches you, you'll appreciate there ain't no better brew. Because at its best, the rest of life is no more than a game. The rules may sometimes differ, but the game remains the same. It's only money, it won't make the grass grow. It's only money, it won't make the wind blow. It's only money, it won't make the sun shine. It's only money, it won't make you feel fine. It's only bread, don't let it go to your head. Okay, I'm going to have to officially leave this poetry slam. It's boring the show. <laughs> <laughs> but that's essentially, the whole song is about money doesn't bring you happiness. Um, friendship and partnership. Does. I would like to test that theory. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I disagree. When I moved house and I had to rent somewhere before buying somewhere else, I had all my house sale money in my bank account. 
I was pretty happy to be honest. You know? <laughs> That's the most money I'm ever going to have in my life. I had I had pictures of it laminated. You know, I was wearing it like a necklace. You know, it's... look at my bank statement, ladies. <laughs> look at it. I was pretty happy back then. I was like, I can afford anything. You know, <laughs> round the drinks. Yeah, I can afford that. Yeah, yeah. Can. <laughs> you can buy a lot of bread as well. Can buy a lot of bread. Yeah, not tiger bread because vegan. Apparently, it's not allowed. So the film opens with Cliff Richard being a complete tosser to his girlfriend or <laughs> wife, potentially, where he's basically saying, "I'm leaving. Yeah, I might call for you. I might bring you back with me." And she's like, she's like getting angry, and he's like, "What's your problem?" <laughs> she says, "It only took you from breakfast till dinner to, for you to forget my birthday." And then he does show that he has got her a present, but it's like an electric egg whisker. No, no. To be honest, good present. I would happily accept that. Yeah, that's like a white goods or um, kitchen equipment. Kitchen yeah. equipment. Yes. I'd I'd happily accept some kitchen equipment these days. I mean, give me some sort of electric whisk or blender. I'm happy as Larry because I can think of a million and one uses for that sort of shit. So I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> oh, go on, list them. We've got two hours on this podcast. Come on, list all a million. <laughs> Obviously. Blended cocktails would be the one. Number one. Um, more blended cocktails. I can't count that. I can, I'll give you 1.5 on that. Further blended cocktails after that. Basically, I want to make a lot of frozen margaritas and daiquiris. Ah, give me a go. fucking problem. Well, one thing about his girlfriend or partner or whatever it is she might be, she might not be allowed to because not only does she behave like a 15-year-old, she kind of looks like a 15-year-old as well. I thought. Are you suggesting that Cliff Richard is a nonce? Because the BBC no, did something similar no, and they got in no. a lot of trouble. I'm just suggesting the character Tim that he's playing might be. Because we also find out that he has a personalised licence plate of Tim. So I'm saying he's an arsehole at the very least. And also, his mode of transportation for the whole film is a black mini with the windows blacked out as well. Yes, yeah, tinted <laughs> windows on a mini. What a way to live your life. <laughs> Cliff then destroys a cement mixer by throwing the whisker into it. Who does that? Triggering the industrial collapse of the 70s and the winter of discontent. Still, it was a good shot, though, to get it in. It was quite a tight tight margin he was working with. I'd like to have seen how many takes that took to... One. It's just Cliff Richard you're talking about. (laughs) One and done! It'll be like Brian Cranston when he threw that pizza onto the roof in the first time of trying. I don't know if you've watched Breaking Bad. If you've watched The Wire, then you've yeah, probably watched yeah, Breaking yeah. Bad so that you can say to that. them after they've watched Not The Wire, you so haven't good. watched Breaking Bad? <laughs> uh, but apparently the, the people who lived in that house had to ask people to stop trying to throw pizzas onto their roof. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, they got a lot, of, uh, a lot of abuse for that. They had to make <laughs> polite requests. Amazing. They see someone coming up the drive with a Domino's box like, no! I mean, free pizza. <laughs> it's roof pizza, but hey, pizza's pizza. Yeah, you got to like scrape the asphalt off it from the fucking markings or like, the tile bits. At the height of Breaking Bad, you've probably got five people a night. One of them is going to land. <laughs> Tasty little treat. If you've got like, Chicago deep dish pizza, you could probably like cut off the bottom layer. And you've still got plenty getting... of pizza that hasn't touched the roof that will be good enough. You're not getting deep pan in, in New Mexico. Exactly. Yeah. To be honest, I've never had Chicago deep dish pizza, so I can't comment one way or the other. It is thick. It is, like, basically it, ingesting a bowl. Isn't it just cheese? Like, it's... Is it a pizza or is it a pie? It's, it's very hard to determine because it's, it's so dense and thick. 
That's America's version of the Jaffa cake debate. It's <laughs> a Chicago deep dish pizza or a pizza. I do like a, re- a bit of deepness in my pizza. I'm not a huge fan of thin crust pizza, I have to say. I prefer a thicker dough myself, personally, yeah. Oh, I'm thin, I'm thin crust. Yeah, you, you would and be, yet we, you? And, and yet we get on. Who would have thought it? <laughs> like Israel and Palestine. We'll find a way. <laughs> we'll find, we find a way. <laughs> Aren't we just a pair? I feel I feel a song coming on. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, Clifford, get your pen out. I'll get my guitar and not play it. We'll get more into popular fast food later, but for the meantime, let's stick to the film. So like I said, one of the things that I think was a big problem with this film is it didn't seem to know if it was a musical or not in the sense that is everyone in the film able to break into a song? Because at this point, Cliff is singing on his own. He's driven onto a grassy area that very much looks like you're not supposed to walk on it let alone drive on it and reflect on his lot in life and how he's not happy he's not a happy man like he used to be he used to be a man of color whoa now you can't call him that i was hoping you were going to avoid that i, must have said. <laughs> I think so was cliff <laughs> and also another sign that it was the 70s cliff just has alcoholic beverages in his glove compartments <laughs> ready to go oh no no to be fair that that is wonderful. I think we need to go cover the man of colour. Uh, I don't know if we do. <laughs> you used to be a man of colour, now you're midnight blue. That is, it's borderline racist, if not full on. <laughs> I, lo- I love how I love yeah, how we're yeah. jumping on like um, the, uh, yeah. the 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 bar in the car, and we're not even mentioning the in car razor that he uses mid song as well. Yes. <laughs> for the lightest stubble ever. I may have got that level of clean shaven like maybe for 50 days of the last 20 of my life. <laughs> I've been as clean shaven as Cliff is when he's going to town on his own face with that rain. Exactly. I can't remember the last time I actually saw any of my chins. <laughs> so, I mean... But I mean, you two don't drive, do you? No. Because no. the only gadget I have in my car is the little wire that connects to my phone so I can listen to podcasts on my phone. That works probably four out of ten times. So the chances of a working bar and a <laughs> razor working in a 70s car, you know. Do you use that podcast wire to listen to podcasts about the wire? Uh, there is the wire strips I've been listening to recently, and I've got an audiobook on the wire, so, uh, yes. I love the idea that the, the glove compartment was where everyone kept a couple of tins of drinks or something, because it was the 70s, where the cops pulls them over later on for swerving. They actually take one of the cans out. There you go, officer. Thank you very much. Ah. <laughs> right, on your way. <laughs> well, sorry, <laughs> so this by your silence. So Cliff goes to visit his boss, who has the biggest ever door that you have to swing open in order to get into his offices. Because he's expecting to go to New York. That's where his big fancy new job will be for the company. But he's told, New York is off. You're placed into Birmingham. To which the biggest incredulous yell of, Birmingham! (laughs) And then it's a smash cut to the Spaghetti Junction. <laughs> in the rain as well. For this, I could slightly relate to it. It's like disappointment because I moved to Birmingham. Well, I moved to Midlands when I was twenty-five. But every single time I would get on the train, it says, "Yeah, you have now reached Birmingham. This is your final. <laughs> this is your final destination." I was like, "That can't be right." I work in Coventry, so I get a train from Coventry to Birmingham. So very often that either goes to London one way, or sometimes it will stop at Birmingham. Sometimes it goes on to Manchester or Blackpool or or Crew mm. or somewhere else. And I do remember. I think it was a Manchester one. And the train operator who tells you where you're about to stop, he says, we are now reaching Birmingham. Hold your applause. 
Dude, <laughs> that was his last day, and you know it. That's <laughs> just wonderful. <laughs> and Cliff seems to be of a similar attitude because he's thinking to himself, "Just as bad as I expected, even <laughs> worse." But I've got to face it, face Birmingham. So I, I love Birmingham now because I've lived here for ten years, basically. Stockholm um, syndrome or Sutton Coldfield syndrome. <laughs> yeah, but I mean it. It's a tough sell, is Birmingham. Yeah. You've got to really get underneath. You've really got to get to know it, you know? Well, I think it's, it's also... Not... So much of the imagery of Birmingham is very similar to what Cliff Richard presents. And obviously there was a point, as we can mm. see, that Birmingham did look like what everyone thinks it looks like. But it's it's a, it's a big. That's one thing you don't appreciate sometimes about how big Birmingham is. It is the second city. Like, the notion that Birmingham is called literally called the provinces in this film suggests how weird and how London-centric the country even was back then, let alone now. I think if you've not been to Birmingham, then you get a very nasty picture of it that's not quite fair. I'm not saying it's beautiful, but most cities aren't that great. There's, There's a handful of cities in the UK that I've seen that I think are like lovely looking cities like across the board like edinburgh i think is a fantastic city it's a locker i think bristol's a very lovely city i don't think much of manchester like just on an aesthetic level oh no i quite like manchester i think liverpool has a beautiful city center but i think everything outside of it is not so great you are missing norwich Um, (laughs) i think genuinely newcastle's a beautiful city some of it's quite written irony but it's it's still a really lovely city and i've always had a lovely time there and then you go to somewhere like i don't know milton keynes you want to slit your wrists <laughs> milton keynes isn't a city is it a city it's uh, oh it's 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 a fake town isn't it if, if the football team isn't called it's a big roundabout in it <laughs> Basically. The only reason I know that Norwich is a city and Ipswich is a town is because it's Norwich City and Ipswich Town. Football oh, clubs. them's be fighting words. Right, let's take this out of this. Right. I didn't realise... Me and you in the car park. I didn't realise, <laughs> actually, that, um, that Swansea City Football Club were Swansea Town until it got its city status. So if Ipswich ever become a city... No, it won't. I... <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare slay this podcast with that scum. <laughs> The old farm derby, still alive and bitter. <laughs> I love this one story. Uh, you know how after after Stilly and Petrov unfortunately got ill, there was mm. a tradition that Villa fans would do at that point of applauding at the 19th minute. And that became a little bit of a thing for other clubs after that. And at the 17th minute, I think it was, of a Norwich Ipswich game, the Norwich fans started applauding. And so everyone just sort of instinctively thought, oh, this must be for something. So some of the Ipswich fans started applauding, and like the Ipswich management were applauding until word got round that they tricked them because what they were doing were applauding the 17 straight seasons that Ipswich have been in the championship. (laughs) 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 That's that's brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, but back to Take Me High. Oh, do we have to? (laughs) This is where... Cliff Richards meets his nemesis for the film, although at one point I thought they might have become lovers. <laughs> uh, so did Cliff. Hugo Flaxman, the merchant banker of Birmingham, with a building that still exists. Uh, it was actually where they filmed Tis Was. It's just off of Broad Street and where the new HSBC building is and everything. But Flaxman is talking to a young lady 
uh, who's there asking for finances to help with a restaurant. And he pulls out what is the exact same size from his pocket as a smartphone. It looks like he's carrying a smartphone. I guess it must have been just a calculator. But you never actually saw it. So it did genuinely look like he was like 50 years ahead of everyone else and somehow had a smartphone. Here's the thing. Later on in the film, I'm pretty sure he goes to look at it when he's trying to keep up with astrology, which he's a massive fan of. <laughs> oh my god, Flaxman's from the future! So I'm. it's either some sort of weird pocket astrology diary thing, or... Like you say, we've discovered time travel uh, has existed for the last 50 years. (laughs) So, yeah, Richard uh, psychs himself up on to meet Flaxman. And I have to say, throughout the whole film, they are so bitchy to each other. It was the 70s. It was as close as we've got to a drag race situation. (laughs) (laughs) Can Can I just say as well? I've really got into drag race in the last year. Of course you did. You can't leave the house and you've been around your girlfriends all the time. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's a necessity for all relationships to still be going on. It's like, a, are you willing to sit through many hours of drag race? Yes. <laughs> willing? I'm insisting. It's great. Well, I'm wondering if it's like the compromise for boyfriends, because I do, most blokes don't seem to have a problem with it, but like, if you get any of them to watch The Real Housewives, it's like, I'm drawing a line. I'm drawing a line here. Yeah, I will watch Drag Race. In Real Housewives, <laughs> you don't get a dozen bitchy gay men dressing up as women, literally being fucking hilarious and tearing into each other. Instead, you just have awful people. Well, yeah, so Cliff versus Flaxman is the 70s cross between RuPaul's Drag Race and American Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> that I'd watch. That I'd watch. And that's how you do a pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Boys, we're taking this to the BBC. <laughs> Cliff's only in his 80s, he's got another 10 years in him, come on, we can get him to do it. So Cliff Richard clearly saw Flaxman's 40 years in the future smartphone, and he's decided to one-up him when he turns up at a fancy dinner at the grounds of the, uh, I can't even remember what the guy's name is now, the, the big local Cunningham. businessman. Cunningham, yes. So he turns up at that party in his purple matching tuxedo, Christ. and his automatic umbrella. Did you notice that? He flipped it up and it just automatically opened up for him. It's like, whoa, someone's been on tomorrow's world. Well, there is a thing, isn't there? Like, you know, any piece of technology you have now in five years will be laughably shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what's so amazing. That that umbrella sounds pretty good. There is going to be something that by the 2030s, it will be just a part of everyday life that we can't imagine life without. And we have no idea what it is. We have no Mm. concept of what it is at this point. So he goes into the house of Cunningham, where Cunningham and all his family and servants and everyone else and Flaxman are there, watching the TV, where they're watching a news report with the local Birmingham City Council leader, played by Minder. And that's all I'm going to refer to him as throughout the whole of this film. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you can't really imagine George Cole doing another role. (laughs) George Cole, you say? He's Minder. (laughs) And so Minder says something about how the people of Birmingham are going to take his bullying ways. And I think Cunningham wants to buy the local electricity board. So Cunningham gets everyone in the family to grab a machine gun and shoot the TV. (laughs) Uh, Very clearly. I did laugh at that, to be fair. I did laugh. Whoever was in the back row, very clearly killing everyone in the front row because there were in rows. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I love that Flaxman shoots it gangster style sideways. <laughs> the, the wire characters were looking at him for advice in how to hold a gat. 
The 70s were a very strange time, weren't they? That was funny, though, to be fair. Another thing I noticed about Minder was he had two different haircuts on either side of his head. Lucky man. <laughs> I haven't got one. He was like, I'll take, half, I'll take half a haircut right now. I don't know if his hair was meant to symbolise the class struggle between the warring parties, because the right side was much more slick and combed, and the left was a bit more shaggy. <laughs> Ruffles. He's probably a liberal. <laughs> <laughs> Cliff Richard visits him in Birmingham City Council House to get advice. Well, he offers him advice on where to eat, and Cliff says, I give advice. I don't take it. Cock. Like, on, on everything. <laughs> Doctor, what have I got? We think you've got a heart. No, no, no. I no. think you'll find it sexy disease. Walk off. <laughs> well, it's... Sex is the start of the disease, but it's not. <laughs> okay, the, uh, okay, this is the perfect um, time to drop in a wire quote from allowed to. Yes, uh, absolutely. No, Doctor, that's not it. I'm just a humble motherfucker with a big-ass dick. <laughs> <laughs> Cliff Richard grabs a map of Birmingham, folds it into quarters, and then picks out a street to look at for a place to find to stay. And settles on Gas Street. Interesting thing, he tries to focus on the centre of the city, even though Gas Street is definitely not the centre of the fucking city. It's not the centre centre. I guess the centre is Victoria Square, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit off centre, if anything. Yeah, not that far off. But boy, he goes to to take another Brummy phrase. We've had a wire phrase. He goes all around the Reekin to try and find Gas Street, because we can all tell you... If you're working for Gas Street, mate, all the places you visit in this montage are not going to get you to Gas Street. <laughs> it's like he goes round in circles. <laughs> he had a map, for God's sake. Well, he, had, he knew how long the song was going to be, and he's like, well, if I'm going to make this montage work, I've got to <laughs> Yeah, he's just going round. Oh, I'm winning. Go. No, you're not. You're really not. Just need to go to Smith's to buy a birthday card, then I'll get on the way. So this was a song yeah. you legitimately like. When we, well, when our call started on Skype, we had this playing in the background <laughs> from Michael's end. But this is, I think I said it last night on the group. Uh, if any of these songs came on the radio when I'm driving, I would not flip station. Well, I didn't like them, but they're perfectly acceptable songs. They're absolutely fine. And this, this one especially, this is my favourite. It's called Winning. Um, check it out. Then he... Ends up on Gas Streets. Now it, it literally looks like it's this little sideway place into somewhere completely different where it's all narrowboats and there's no James Brindley place, there's no Tesco's, there's no Cube <laughs> flats, there's nothing like that. It's just a rundown industrial looking place. But like I say, it's the it's close to the city centre. It genuinely would have taken Cliff less time than the full song to have just got from the council house to Gas Street. They could have done it all in one take. <laughs> <laughs> I did like though the scenes where he's walking down the the, the busy uh, market streets, and you see just all the people that are standing there looking over. And they have to double take because they suddenly realise, fuck me, it's Cliff Richard on the street. What's he doing here? <laughs> and they, they've tried their hardest to make it look not so obvious that it's just a weird, famous person walking down the street. The only thing that disappointed me in that montage of things from Birmingham in the 70s, you've seen the Central Library, the Rotunda, which must have been quite new at that point. A lot of concrete, <laughs> a lot of motorways and a lot of high flats. Uh, he's on the big island on Smallbook Queensway at yep. one point as well. 
uh, looking a lot cleaner than it looks now, I must say. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, but I, even I, to be honest, I did get a little bit of a giggly when I saw him walking past what is now Tesco Metro and walking past Needless Alley. I was like, ah, yes, I, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, what we don't get is the massive King Kong statue that was between New Street Station and the Bull Ring for six months at some point in the 70s, but unfortunately, not when this movie was made. That Stuart Lee recently did a documentary about. Really great documentary as well. I haven't had a chance yeah, to watch it that. yet. That could have been our Dwadwad, actually, really. Maybe it should be. Um, so yeah, he walks onto the canal part of Gastry. Unfortunately, you can see where the walkabout is now, but unfortunately there are no Australian cricket team members tearing the place down in a drunken fury <laughs> like there would be a few years later. <laughs> but he does bump into a man in a narrowboat that takes his fancy, hands over some cash, and buys the bloody thing to live in. Oh, by the way, the first and one of the few Brummy accents you actually yes. hear in the entire fucking yeah, movie yeah, yeah. that was going to be my note he and his girl his wife are basically the only brummies with brummy accents in this whole film and that's one of the things i will Although, get to this could have been i wish this film was more brummy i would have actually maybe have actually looked past its flaws to say i like this film if it had embraced the brumminess more but the the wife's one was too brummy i felt you know, it was over. It was overplayed. It was like it was like the it was like the Dudley Living Museum version of a Brummy accent. The thing is, not a single actor in the film were from the Midlands, so the ones that were doing Brummy accents were yeah, like laying it on with a fucking trowel because that's yeah, it's like a classical actor doing a Birmingham exactly. Accent, it, so. it it felt. Yeah. Like, I mean, so, it, it it probably would, seeing as we, we come from the area, but it felt so forced and so horrible. It, it, that's why it didn't hang right on the ear. Yep. I guess they've got to get like actors like of some I don't know if they've done much or whatever, but they've got to get fairly well trained actors to carry Cliff for a performance. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, given given the casting practices of Peaky Blinders, it's not like that's changed much in the interim. Oh, don't get me started on Peaky Blinders accents. The amount of people in <clears throat> the Midlands area that love it, I just can't. I can't get through it. I, I do find it fascinating that it is like a point of pride, like these gang members essentially but i do i i have i've only watched the first series and i don't think you i didn't think it was brilliant i thought it was very good but i didn't think it was brilliant but it like you say with take me high's depiction of birmingham it's been nice to see birmingham portrayed in something other than grim industrial and thickos and you know that the the craftiest guy in the film is in the show is a brummy and he's constantly getting one up on cockneys coming into town and thinking they can run the place I appreciate that. But does it have to be about, you know, murderous, blind psychopaths, really? No, but then people wouldn't watch it. <laughs> the best uh, rep- representation of Birmingham on in telly recently, of recent years, has been uh, The Job Lot, the sitcom. It's great. Nice characters, quite funny. Uh, proper Brummy accents. Yeah. Doctors, might I add. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. Have yeah, either of yeah. you been in Doctors? I've done Doctors. Uh, my, no. uh, I've got a family member who did Doctors once. I've had two, uh, again, because I said I was in a drama group that was based around Gas Streets. Well, Central was based in Gas Street, and it was Central's workshop. I, for a while, we were in the Custom Factory. For a while, we were in the Midlands Arts Centre, and there was another place that we were at, but I can't remember what the... the, the well, it's just along the road from the Alexandra Theatre, really. Um, so those were the three spots that we were at for the, for the drama. But two of those members of that group that are in my years... 
uh, have been regulars on Doctors. One of them still is a regular on Doctors. Hmm. Um, so that's it. Was always like it was. It was a good little money earner for people around the Midlands. Really, I think pretty much every kid in if, that drama group probably got into Doctors at some point. If you're a regular on Doctors and you're not a doctor, have you just got some horrendous illness? Well, I think she's a nurse. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> uh, okay. Might be a receptionist. Be. Okay. Um, she's great though. She's. I'm really. I'm, I'm always excited when I see. Because it is weird. Like we've got a crazy good class of actors that have gone on to have successes. Like I said, you know, Felicity Jones, Academy Award nominated. She was in my group. Gwillem Lee, who played Brian May in the Bohemian Rhapsody movie and was in Midsummer Murders for a few years. Wasn't he in he uh, that a... show, The Great, recently as well? Yes, yes, yeah, he was really in that. I haven't show. watched that yet. Oh, I've heard that's decent. Yeah, really but good. I, yeah, um, him. That, like I said, two regulars on Doctors. There was a guy who was a year above us called Ryan Cartwright who went to America. He was in Mad Men. He was the lead in a show called Alphas. Yes, he was on he was... that um, Jasper Carrot sitcom, wasn't he? Uh, you might be thinking of another guy called Rasmus because they no, look no, no, very no. similar. Rasmus Hardacre oh. was from Sutton Coalfield. I know he was. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. Uh, Represent the SC. <laughs> CS. Rasmus yeah. Hardacre was on. Uh, oh, Saxondale with Steve Coogan. Yeah, yeah. The other one was Ryan oh. Cartwright, who uh, had like, he had a role in a, a kids sitcom which I saw years ago called Microsoap. Uh, that was that was the, I was talking about that the other day about how weird it was that like the because I went to a grammar school basically the only girls that I encountered between the ages of twelve to sixteen were my two cousins or actresses and that's not a fair representation of what girls are like at that age. <laughs> Damn you, society! <laughs> so I was never quite prepared in the right way at that point. <laughs> But the funny thing about Rasmus is, for quite a while, I would see him on the train, because I think he was either getting the train to London, or I always thought, because he would get off at International, so I thought he might be like quite regularly flying to America at that point. Um, but I remember, because he was in Your Highness, the the Natalie Portman, yeah. James Franco, Danny McBride comedy, which I actually think's fine. I thought, I don't know why it's been hated so much, I thought it was alright. And I thought he was very good in it. So at one point I did pluck up the courage just as he was getting off the train just to ask him if he was in Your Highness and telling him I thought he was really good in that. And he seemed to really appreciate it because that film did not get very many nice things said about it. Yeah. <laughs> it it's a shame because I've, I've seen Rasmus Hardaker in quite a few things and I've always thought he was uh, a really good actor, if not just a comic actor. I mean, he Is was... he in Cockneys vs. Zombies? He, I think he was. Yes, yeah, he was. Yeah. And also, yeah. he was in the Christmas special of Black Mirror, mm. which was brilliant. I've just remembered now as well the Ryan Cartwright. The last big role that I know he got, he was like the son-in-law to Kevin James with Kevin James's big comeback sitcom where they just killed off his wife in the first season and brought in the woman from King of Queens <laughs> to take over. Because <laughs> like that worked really. Um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 nice to see so many people from the Midlands end up becoming like yeah. famous stars and getting Oscar nominations and all sorts. So many just from my group as well. So that yeah. suggests that the law of averages means we were way overachieving. So my failures are completely in line with how <laughs> the universe has to balance it out, and it's nothing to do with my own lack of talent. So um, we now see them go to a, the French restaurant or the restaurant Francais. Which is run by the woman that we saw earlier who was applying for the loan and the most tanned and ripped 
restaurant chef that I've ever seen. <laughs> you should never trust a thin chef. Exactly. It's not even that he's thin, because like I said, in the, eat the food. in the 70s, everyone was thin at that point for the most part. Yeah, that's because they lift off fags. But they didn't have abs <laughs> like this guy did. You got... It was just a thick slab of Aussie, wasn't it? It was. Just shitting all over Birmingham for his one brief scene in the film. He's <laughs> saying, you can't fool anyone in this godforsaken fish and chip town. Hey, don't knock fish and chips. Yeah, Mr. Egg ran you out of business, pal, because they cared about their customers. Yeah, they cared about <laughs> how much salmonella they gave me. <laughs> hey, for 30p a salmonella, I'll take it. <laughs> Those prices were incredible. <laughs> this is why I love Birmingham. All right, just like a sentence like that in general, because, right, Brummies, like, I say we, I'm an honor, honorary yeah, one, I suppose. Yeah. We know it's a bit shit. Yeah. All right, you know. How dare you? Praise Birmingham. It's like, there's good bits, but we know it's a bit shit. But you go to London and everyone's shouting about it. You go to Manchester now, yeah. Liverpool even. It's just like, you know. <laughs> you know, we we would gladly accept something like Mr. Egg is shit, but hey, thirty p. Manchester, <laughs> Manchester is a bit shit, but they won't admit to it. Liverpool's a bit shit, yeah. and Dis- they won't admit to it. I disagree. I don't think Manchester's that shit. No, every city's got a bit of shit in them, and Birmingham are just one of the few ones that cop to it. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the difference between yeah. us and everyone else. Uh, whereas, but to this guy, uh, the only good thing coming out of Birmingham is the motorway down south. Ooh, wanna be cockney? Ooh. Get out of town. But I love. But actually, you were just saying just this about the brummy spirit because his replies to the line from the woman, our, our romantic female lead, she says, "It's my town, and some good things come from it from time mm. to time." <laughs> she's yeah, it's my town, despite the fact that I sound like I come from Essex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also, uh, like the waitresses in that restaurant. They're all wearing like these yellow blouses underneath what seem to be blue denim overalls. They look like the prototypes for the minions. <laughs> like it's 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 like it is minion cosplay when you look back on it. <laughs> so she realizes that when she bumps into Cliff Richard chatting to the local council minder is that uh, he's only gone to this restaurant to see if she's worthy of a loan. She realises when she meets him the next day in the bank office with Flaxman. And then we get a really weird shot where Cliff's backs to the camera, completely co- uh, covering the two characters that are actually talking on the screen. It's one of the weirdest little sh- bad shots in a film I've ever seen. And then we get a really long, extended belittling a flaxman over a tender crooning song from cliff richard with the lyrics there's too much love there's too much peace there's too much joy in the world today well not according to the action that's going on in this scene it's not it just goes on forever and that was at the point where i was wondering is this a musical or like you said is it like an album with visuals attached to it um also i did notice that the guitar sounds almost exactly like uh the final acoustic guitar bit in the in dark side of the moon i was like it was freaky if they hadn't come out the same year i would have accused one of plagiarizing the other they sound so alike are you you saying if you if you play this film backwards (laughs) to the alice in wonderland soundtrack or something they perfectly mix it actually this one (laughs) yeah take me high you have to listen uh to whilst watching 
not take me high, weirdly. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, Flaxman's got a look on his face like this woman's telling the the worst aristocrats joke to her. He's utter oh. disgust. Uh, but then Richard and Flaxman go over to meet Cunningham again, who nearly runs them over in his car. Because Cunningham has so much gout that he can't get on a horse. And so hires yeah. a man to drive him around on a Range Rover. Yeah, he's tired of attacking televisions. Now he's gone to hunting pop stars for sport. Like we say, he's trying to buy this local electric uh, board. But Richard argues that he should invest in a big local Labour Council project. Which then th- promptly gets him a grenade thrown at him for his troubles. <laughs> So yeah, this is the and then they're driving back. Flaxman oh god, I hate this bit. I hate this so and much. This is again. This was the weird one because they're like, if it was a musical, they break into a song and harmonize with each other, but they don't. They sing in their heads, but in their heads, they're singing the same song and harmonizing with each other. They're singing a duet whilst saying nothing in a car, <laughs> staring forward and not doing anything. It's like it's supposed to be. Oh, this is what my subconscious is, would really be saying at the moment, but it feels so disjointed. And like, yeah, the other actor, he barely talks things. It's and it it really tells compared to a pop star, like who the singer is. Don't get someone in your film to sing along a pop star that can't fucking sing. <laughs> Just a thought. Ah. We need people that can act. We've got someone that can sing. Can he act? Barely? <laughs> Good, you're in. <laughs> uh, so we see Cliff in his new narrowboat slash bachelor pad, which is a bloody impressive job he's done on the interiors in a very short space of time. Um, and this is where he encounters the... the I can't, again, I've, I wrote a name eventually, but I haven't got it at this point. But the romantic lead... Uh, who is the daughter, like you say, of those two very working class only characters in the film with brummy accents. But they've clearly beaten it out of her so that she can get her ahead in life. <laughs> Look, lad, you've got a miracle. You got into the bank to ask for a loan. They, they literally they keep a stick oh, and hit, hit us with it when we come anywhere close to them. Something. <laughs> There's just a box full of slippers they smack people with. <laughs> no. <laughs> Say the, say these sentences <laughs> if I hear a twang of broadleaf. <laughs> How are you saying Jake baked a great cake? Jake baked... Get out! Get out! <laughs> Apparently... Here's a free cake. How do you pronounce it? Oh, Boston. <laughs> smack, smack, smack. <laughs> what are we driving along? An island? No, we are not, sir! No, we are not! It is a... <laughs> Get in your hole! <laughs> <laughs> what is that little child doing in the playground? I always do one of them gambols. He is not doing a gamble! <laughs> what would you say about those dark clouds over there? What's a bit black over Bill's mother's? Get out the <laughs> What would you like to drink? Oh, I'll have a fizzy pop. You will not have a fizzy pop! <laughs> What's coming out of the tap? What's council pop? No, it's water! <laughs> Uh, right. <laughs> I've got a couple of notes I want to make here about the, the young woman going into Cliff's basically floating shag pad. <laughs> Is number one, ten points for the pink panther jumper that she's wearing, <laughs> which looks like she probably got it off some sort of fucking market, probably the Oasis one. And <laughs> 39 minutes in, when she first goes onto the boat, Cliff jumps his line early, and it's still in the final cut. Yeah! 
Oh my god, I I noticed that as well. Yeah, they were so disjointed. Like, really, the editor had stopped giving a fuck at this point, hadn't they? We do not do second takes in this movie. Yeah. Cliff is a one-take man, and you better fucking deal with it. (laughs) But yeah, again, Cliff just sings a song in his head while she walks around. So it's one of those ones where you think, if you take away the song, Cliff is just staring at this woman as she quietly (laughs) saunters around his narrowboats. That's my my deal with musicals in general. I can't stand them. Mm. But they're, you know, they're confessing love or they're saying all these feelings and stuff. And it's like the other person's right to there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at least have them out the door or something. <laughs> you know? So we get another little musical sequence where they take the canal down. And this was one of the things I did appreciate. They actually show one thing they showed with the Cunningham land and everything is that Birmingham is not just concrete city. If you just take the boat out a few miles, you've got lovely greenery around you. I mean, Birmingham is one of the greenest cities in the UK, genuinely, like for trees and grasslands and everything. It's much more than there is in London, for example. They grab a beer and a not-so-tasty burger along the way and throw it in the canal. But you see, this is where we let ourselves down, guys. It's like, I remember Dave Gorman saying the thing about people always say about Birmingham is, we've got more canals than Venice. And he says, yeah, but Venices don't have turds floating in them quite so much. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, not only do they... <laughs> Although I have been to Venice, and Venice does stink. Yeah. <laughs> really oh does. yeah, I've heard that Venice damp. isn't that great. Um, <laughs> I've it's heard, not great. It's not, not, it's not I've a heard great place. I've heard it requires place. a massive clean-up operation. I think because I think they started when the pandemic hit, and people weren't out in the streets so much in Venice. The water hmm. started to clear up, <laughs> and they could actually see the yeah, bottom yeah. of the canals. And fuck, it was disgusting. <laughs> well, you're talking about gastry down there, you know. Because now there's not been pissed people, having, you know, having sl- taken a slash down there every, every Friday night. <laughs> it's probably quite nice looking. To be fair, I, <laughs> me and uh, me and Robin went down there a while ago when things were like deathly quiet. It was still. Mm. quite grubby but it, it it was a lot better than it looked for a while yeah well it's good yeah. Right? Yeah. so yeah. this bad burger inspires Cliff to come up with the idea of the Brum burger although it does take the woman at least another half an hour in this film to get the pun <laughs> that's because Cliff's so- a visionary in this film he's a business <laughs> ma- maverick sorry what's, what's well, the pun <laughs> well that's the yeah, thing it's it. not much of a pun is it Brum ham. Birmingham burger, you could have really got more. But uh, I did set a challenge. Uh, to be fair, I only came up with a couple myself of potential restaurants based on one particular food that would be popular in other cities around the country. Uh, one I've, The only ones I've got so far are Manchester, Liverpool, and Edinburgh. Uh, have you guys got any other ones that you came up with, or is uh, I just? I got one, but just uh, eat, Ellie. But that's a country, not a UK uh, city. Yeah, I've... but it'll do. <laughs> it? The only one I can really come up with is like a greasy <laughs> spoon <laughs> cafe called Stockton on Tees. T e a s. Oh, I do remember another one I came up with. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of a Sunday roast, so maybe a carvery diff. Come on now, that's fucking that's... awful. <laughs> No. <laughs> right, I know we're doing this uh, not on video, but you hang your head in shame. All right, I want to, I want to, I want to feel it. You know, the audio of you hanging your head. In maybe shame. there's a, maybe there's a, 
a. <laughs> oh, don't try and come back. Maybe from that. A, oh, that was dreadful. A, don't just give popular, up this whole popular, section. You're not. You're not coming back. A popular fruit place called uh, Plumoth. Uh, that's been I'm just better. Talk over you, right? So, Tom, how you been? I'm not spoken to you for a while. Yeah, mate, it's been <laughs> ages, mate. How you been? You're all right. You, you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. Weird, isn't it? Weird times, oh, it's but been uh, weird. yeah, not bad, not bad. Yeah, um, I think we should just carry on talking, really, until Lorcan stopped this little. Section, I'm trying to think of something working. for Talky. It seems obvious, but I can't see. Yeah, Porky, it's, it's obvious. It's there. Porky, Jesus Christ! For fuck's sake! Puns were never my strong suit. But getting on to another thing that is referenced with food, we now are at the Spaghetti Junction, and it is in Gridlock. I will say this, I, I, I've had mixed feelings about the Spaghetti Junction over time, but I do actually think it's pretty amazing sometimes. I actually walked from my home with my mate, we did one of our COVID-allowed distance walks, and we walked all the way down it, and it is really impressive when you're actually standing under it. What is it? Three motorways and two A roads connected? Oh god, it's an absolute fucking mind fuck, but yeah. It's amazing, really. And what I've always wanted to happen, and I've always wanted to see if they would do it, is have like a Fast and the Furious style car chase take place there. And the idea that they're all coming from different parts of different motorways, and then just Vin Diesel jumps from one motorway road onto another one that's going the other way. Imagine, <laughs> imagine the expense of closing off all those <laughs> fucking lanes to pull that off. It would be, well, it, yeah. unless, you, unless you were going to put in like a billion dollars for the film, it would not be worth it. Oh, you can CGI it now. But I just think it'd be amazing. Pitch number two from Larkin today. <laughs> Are you telling me you wouldn't go and see that? Everyone wants them to go into space. I don't. I want them to go to Erdington. That's what I want for I, my Fast and the Furious guys. For a while, I kept meaning to watch that Ready Player One because I knew some of it was filmed yes. in Digbeth. Well, some of it's filmed literally like... Well, some of it's filmed literally like three minutes from where I live. Oh. Like a three-minute walk from where I live. It's crazy. Although it wasn't the greatest sign that, like, dystopian Ohio in the 2050s. And it was like, I haven't done anything to this. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> so I loved how uh, when it came to the first series of Peaky Blinders, and they needed to find somewhere that looked like Birmingham, but during an industrial uh, time and period where it looked dark and grubby. So where do they film it? Liverpool! <laughs> They do film some of it in Digbeth, though, I think. And obviously the, the Black Country History Museum, I think, is a popular location, too. Yeah, they, they've, they've um, since filmed it more in the Midlands, but initially I think yeah. the first series was just up north. Well, there was some filming going on in Digbeth, actually, when we did the walk back from the Spaghetti Junction. And I was wondering if it might have been Peaky Blinders. Uh, who knows? But um, I know something was filming a few months back, just off Colmore Row, where I work. Well, they filmed some of Kingsman there, didn't they? They did like a yeah. Yeah, there was because they, they shut off a couple of the roads to to film something. I didn't get to see any of it, but I obviously I had customers coming in talking about it. They filmed that zombie film, the girl with all the gifts in Birmingham as well, yes. and that had like uh, Glenn Close and Gemma Arterton in it. I think and I haven't seen that. Paddy one. Considine, I think, was in that as well. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, completely unrelated, but there was I was. Um... I went to, I've been to New York once and we're in this bar and uh, we're just, you know, hanging out, just having a drink and stuff with, with my friend. And we went to leave and there was like a massive, in the time we've been there, like an hour and a half, an t- entire massive film crew turned up. And I was like, well, what's going on here? 
and it was a, they were filming a Lady Gaga video outside, <laughs> and they paid people who were going out to go back into the pub. <laughs> Thing is, in Britain, you get that anyway. Like people will just like politely stay, wait. Like when I'm when yeah. I'm walking and like going over the bridge on onto the Gas Street Basin, actually from the Cube. Half the time, there's people there taking photos on the bridge where they then put that little padlock in that fucking gets removed every <laughs> six months anyway. And I don't know, like you, I don't know if it's just a typical Brit or maybe it is a specifically a Brummy thing. Everyone just waits. No, let them take the photo. Oh, they're going to take a second one because the diverse one, the flash didn't work. All right, I'm not going to say a <laughs> bloody word about it. <laughs> I make a point to deliberately walk in front of people's photos. Like, I'm not. <laughs> I've got places to be. I'm not waiting for you to have capture your precious fucking memories. I've seen you, Tom. You do one more than that. You could do a full moonie. <laughs> you, you, you drop kick the phone. You drop kick very, the phone very out of their slowly hands. and deliberately, just pulling your trousers. And Some people down. photo bomb. I photo bomb. Okay, that's just what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about phones, Flaxman is on his car phone, which is more like a walkie. I don't know what it is. Really, is like those those trucker speaker things that they had. Breaker, breaker. This is one nine two zero one. But uh, yeah. Oh Christ! Are we only here? Yeah, oh, we'll have to race hell. through this. Uh, so Flaxman's in on his car phone because there's the meeting with the electricity board, but he can't get it because he's on his car. But Cliff Richard, the quick thinker, has invested in a fucking speedboat. Oh no, no, oh, it's not a speedboat. What are? That's they? no They're... speedboat, my friend. That you'll find is a motherfucking hovercraft. Hovercraft, there we go. This is the future. This whole film is it's, it's a science fiction film. We didn't realise it. This is the dystopian future of nineteen ninety two. I this argue whole film is in that hovercraft with that suit and that bow tie, that may have been his audition for James Bond. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Could well be. There's another one. A Bond film in Bur- Well, we already talked about that, but we'll save that for another time. Um, so we do see Cunningham with his grandson talking about the money that he's going to make from the shares in the rumour of the sale that's going through. And that little boy grew up to be Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Cliff is able to attend this meeting and advises them against investing in the electricity board, uh, the electricity board taking Cunningham's bid, therefore removing all of my, uh, interest in that one. Uh, so he's sabotaged the bid, essentially. And he gets in touch with Minders about opening with the um, the big project they want and saying there's still £10 million available out there, uh, which is that uh, they have it in the Birmingham equivalent of a high-stakes meeting. In you know London, it'd be the Wardorf. In Birmingham, it's a bowling alley. <laughs> oh, also, strike as a metaphor alert. Mm-hmm. It was very, very like prevalent in this fucking film. Like the second he comes up with a good idea, strike! Oh, fucking here we go. Yeah, but it was Tom. It was either that or just having a big light bulb. What? what talk about <laughs> and someone just holding it above his head. Talk about a light bulb uh, that we do see the girl, the, the the romantic lead, on her own in the restaurant, thinking to herself, going Brumberger. I still don't get it. There's no such thing as an internal thought anymore, is there? <laughs> well, unless it's a song in a musical film. Although this time Cliff is singing, but only to himself. Uh, to, with his guitar, Cliff's learnt the G and the C chord like all singers do eventually. And like Jason Orange in that one take that video, he's strumming them for his heart's content. Hey, you chucking an A minor, you've got yourself a career. <laughs> and C. Well, no, 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 because then he gets a phone call and she goes, Brumberger! She's got it, lads! She got it! <laughs> 
So then she comes around, and then Cliff does start singing in front of her, and she's not freaked out by it. So is this a proper musical or not? Um, then he seems to pinch her on the ass. We don't see it, but she's horrified at first. But then she follows it up with a snog, and you can tell this was written by a bloke in the 70s. <laughs> so then they're taking a drive into the countryside. She goes onto the hood of the car, oh, and hang he on. keeps driving. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Yeah, we've we've jumped over something here. Okay. During that song on the riverboat where they're, they're throwing up the burgers, they pull out the phrase, the biggest little mouthful in the land. There we go. Uh, we, <laughs> we are completely ignoring the fucking innuendos in this film, and I feel it's an outrage, okay? To be fair, I think, like just like the lady didn't get the pun, maybe Cliff didn't get the innuendo, because Cliff's lived a sheltered life. <laughs> in so many ways. Yeah. Well, also, this, like she's throwing it up, and suddenly she gets hot oil almost spit in her face, and she turns back, and then Cliff sees that as an opportunity to give her a snug. Pervert. <laughs> Rampant pervert. Now you have what I wanted. <laughs> um, but yeah, she tries to make a big romantic gesture by blowing onto the window and then drawing something on the, the condensation, but we literally can't see it. Yeah, I remember that. Ah, <laughs> oh, the 70s. Uh, but they... Was it supposed to be like a love art? Or yeah, something? I think oh. so. Uh, but they spy Cunningham having a fox hunt, and again, he can't ride a horse, so he's sitting on a Range Rover. The fox jumps into Cliff's car, and Cliff and Sarah drives off, and the fox literally starts laughing, so animals can talk in this world now. <laughs> Uh, so Cliff Richards trying to convince Cunningham to do the build to make the buildings, and I'm wondering if this is genuinely the start of the Paradise bid that's only just now been resolved because <laughs> they work quite slowly sometimes with these things. Um, oh, this was the one where he's driving, and these were I you know I write some of the lyrics. So these are the lyrics I wrote for this one: Driving, we go driving. Ooh, baby. Ooh, just me and you. Yeah. And then they just, they stopped at that point. They really yeah. stopped. I mean, it. absolute <laughs> fucking, that's Andrew Lloyd Webber level shit, that is. I mean, that's all of, uh, it replaced driving with surfing, and that is just the Beach Boys until they wrote, wrote Petch Sounds. Guys, the <laughs> film is due out tomorrow. We've got one last song. Uh, <laughs> driving. They're, they're, they're driving. driving. Oh, baby, driving. She's drawing something on the window. I can't tell what it is, and now they're driving. <laughs> driving, making burgers, and having lots of no sex. <laughs> so then Cliff and Sarah I finally found out what her name was at this point um, I've never bothered to find out what Cliff Richard's name is I've just called him Cliff this whole Cliff. time um, They're taking a romantic stroll At first I thought it might have been the botanical gardens in Edgebaston But it just seems like they're walking into people's gardens <laughs> Walking around and stealing flowers from them <laughs> So uh, Flaxman walks in on Minder and Cunningham who are setting, signing a deal set up by Cliff with Cunningham saying there's more than one way of making money out of the working class. Um, oh, it's, it's, and Cliff's... it's nice that Cliff has brought the biggest socialist and the biggest capitalist in the Midlands together, much like Jesus would. Ah, so Cliff sets the table up for five and Sarah comes in with the Brumburgers and that's their big pitch now to Cunningham to invest in a building above the canals. Now, I think this is genuinely where the walkabout is now. Was what they were pointing her to, uh, him to, or maybe not the walkabout, but around. It, it, it um, I was honestly racking my brain for trip. ages thinking where that was. Because mm. we, we, there are plenty of those sort of dips underneath on the canal path, and like I said, I think that's the one 
that's just off the Gas Street base. And if they turn the camera around, it'd be where they filmed it there. And like I said, there's Walkabout and uh, the... That's not where... No, it's not where Legs 11 is. That was one of my favourite ever heckles to um, John Crew at the villa. Do you remember when John Crew was supposed to be injured and couldn't play in the Europa League, but then it was found out that he was at the Rocket Club the night before, <laughs> <laughs> getting a lap dance. And he was, so he was relegated to the uh, subs bench for the next game. But, you know, it was Marlon Harewood, so he was going to get on. <laughs> and he's warming up next to us, because I, I sat on the Trinity next to the whole tent, so I was kind of in line with the six-yard line or the penalty area around. Sort of the penalty spot, I suppose, was where my season ticket was when I could afford it. And um, John Crew's warming up in front of us. And someone behind me yells out, Hey, John, throw the corner flag over to me and I'll do a little dance for you. (laughs) (laughs) Someone said, John, I'll see you at Legs 11 tonight, right? And John gave a little thumbs up. John loved the villa. (laughs) The villa loved John. (laughs) See, that's really funny, but we can't make this podcast any more niche. (laughs) We can't be talking about roads in Birmingham and Marlin hey, Buddy. Hey, hey, let me tell you about the time I saw Olaf Melberg in Costco, right? Oh, great. I saw I saw Carlos Queller in Tesco's. <laughs> I think it's uh, I think it's Stefan Moore when I used to work in my other store uh, back in the day. He he was a regular in the in the shop. He used to live he used to live up the road from us. My other favorite heckle, I'll get this one off now was Curtis Davis was also warming up on the touchline. And so I, I think this is probably a common heckle for a lot of footballers when they're warming up on the touchline. But someone behind me just yelled out, Come on, Curtis, you're in my dream team for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to do that, to go to like a, a, a proper fucking Premier League football ground and just go, Come on. I need to make points. I'm currently fifth in my league, mate. I could be top, and it's all your fault. Yeah, I love the idea of someone on their side getting really angry at Kane for not putting one away because he had Son as the assist. (laughs) See, but we might be able to get this happening because, you know, when grounds open again in, what, a couple of months, or whenever this released, I don't know, um... But we're only gonna have like what five thousand people in the stadium. They they might hear it. You know, we could have you know individual heckles to players. You know? And you know, when there's sixty thousand people in the stadium, there's no chance they can hear it. There's five thousand. Yeah, so like not? you were saying, Let's Tom, this is the big set piece in the whole film because Cunningham says, "You bring the restaurant, and I'll bring the business." I this city was built on Cunningham's. And... Yeah, but that's because the first line was Cliff saying really sexily, "You bring." I'll bring the hamburgers, you bring the buns. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> As we all know, Cliff likes buns. So yeah, what Cunningham sets up is a massive parade down New Street. And, um, yeah, I didn't get that. Is this just Cliff was doing a gig in town? I think it was just maybe, well, I don't know. I, like, I, th- I think, again, I think the, the local the... papers got the word around that Cliff was in town, get into New Street on this day and be part of a parade. By the way, you may also end up in a film. Well, because again, you like you said with the extras early on, they were all looking at it. It's like, oh, that's Cliff Richard. What, what, what are you doing? I now? don't know. I don't know if Cliff Richard <laughs> in 73 would be drawing that kind of crowd. I think I think they should have tricked loads of other. Maybe they tricked Any... people. I like the idea that there were loads of different people that were tricked. Like some were teeny boppers that were tricked that Donny Osmond was going to be there. And then as you went along, there was going to be some really miserable denim clad lads in their uh, teenagers and early 20s who thought that Ozzy was turning up. <laughs> yeah, but... 
Lorcan, it was this 1973. They barely even had colour telly. Of course they're going to come out for a pop star. You know? They weren't able to cross the road to get to it where was an they excuse to, to go. It was an excuse to drink in the streets. Of course we've heard, we've heard good tale that uh, the young lad Cliff Richard's going to be out today, so we thought we'd have, come and have a look at him. One of, one of my big notes, one of my main notes actually as well at this point, because this felt like the finale of the film, so I was checking what time it was, and it wasn't. We were 70 minutes in, but it was also 70 minutes in where we saw the first non-white face in the whole film. And again, you know, you only need to have heard some fucking Enoch Powell speeches from 1973 to know that that's not what Birmingham looked like. <laughs> so, that's another like, lack of a brumminess to it. Oh, this was where I made the note of the biggest little mouthful in the world. Because that was like the big fucking banner on the signs that they were, they were having these little children doing a parade with. <laughs> Well, is this... No, no, this is later on. But their their marketing uh, policy where if you could eat two of the burgers, you could get a third one for three. And people wonder why obesity is such a pandemic <laughs> in I just found this video online of this guy who went into a restaurant and the restaurant's gimmick was if you weighed over £350, you would get to eat there for free. So which restaurant's this? I need to make a note. <laughs> is that... Is it that Vegas one? That heart. It's in America. Uh, I know that much. Because there's that Vegas place that looks ridiculous, and, and all the all the uh, staff are dressed as uh, nurses or doctors. Oh yeah, and you have to sign a waiver and before they... you eat certain meals. Yeah, I've read yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, and it's like sur- massive syringes of maple syrup and stuff, and it's just oh, it's just where people used to have the jukebox things in the fifties diners in the, at their table. Instead, it's a fucking defibrillator yeah. machine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although, yes. It, I mean, to be fair, in town, like even like as the pandemic hit, you could still get fucking freak shakes, which looked wrong. Like I'm a fucking big lad, and even I think that's wrong. It's just <laughs> like you've got a milkshake. What you topped it with? Ah, oh, the candied bacon, whipped cream. Oh, and three burgers. What is fucking wrong with you? <laughs> well, do you remember the motherfucker and the daddy fucker on, at the end of Broad Street by the cinema? It was like literally four burgers was the motherfucker and the daddy fucker was four oh, burgers with like loads of cheese that, on that, top of them. Was that that rub place or whatever it was called? It was just a van. It was just a van that was outside uh, the cinema world and, and that on Broad Street. No, I, I, I don't think I ever saw that, but I, I know of places like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just fucking horrific. Yeah. Anyway, talking about horrific, Flaxman arrives at the boat, and he. I've realised at this point that all of this Flaxman's acting centres around him either knotting up or unknotting the knot in his tie, and looking basically alarmed at whatever anyone's just said to him. He's just, I say. To be fair, it was the actor's first film, so I'm not. He's probably just nervous. <laughs> But what I loved, you must have loved this as well, Mike, because he starts talking about how they can do it as cheap as possible to get the, the maximum amount of profit from the Bromberger business, and he suggests using soya bean-based burgers. He's suggesting a plant-based diet at the 1973. <laughs> He's from the future. He knows what's going to happen. The first vegan. He's got a phone. He's... he's... He's invented Beyond Meat, or is it Beyond, the Beyond Burger or something? That's how he's made his millions, boys, by charging £5 for two burgers. Birmingham was always where so many visionary things were invented, celluloid, all those things. And now the plant-based Beyond Burger came from Birmingham. Uh, Cliff says to him, you're diseased with the pursuit of profits. And then Flaxman replies, since when did you get the cure? Um... 
And then we see the Bromberger restaurant, and it is a weird set. Oh, it looked, honestly, the design, the oh, layout made yeah. it look like it had been thrown up by a cat. The, didn't the design remind you of the futuristic, whatever the place was that Alex walks through in the Clockwork Orange before he has a threesome? Oh, you're right, that's fucking yeah. weird. <laughs> I'm waiting for the milk bar to appear in the background. Yeah, and just like the ma- mannequin women just... being tables, yeah. All the droogs kicking off with the Burger Boys for a gangland street fight. And the B6 crew coming. <laughs> we have made the most brummy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is... <laughs> In fact, is there any way we can ban listenership from outside of the... Uh, how many more references can we throw in? Uh, Rosie and Jim. Uh, uh, Brum. Uh, <laughs> of course I was in Brum. That was my claim to fame. I, I essentially took a similar... You were the car? Yeah, <laughs> the show. Well, you know, how'd you... Were you the honker? It, it, look, look. But yeah, that, that that was Brum and the birthday cake, if you want to look it up. That's my biggest claim to fame. Oh, Where wow. Brum was okay. chasing me through but me and four other members of the cake gang through the streets of Birmingham, in a similar route, actually, to the one that Cliff Richard took to get to Gas Street. <laughs> didn't make any bloody geographical sense. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, the cake gang, they don't sound no. too, uh, you know, intimidating. Our gimmick was that we stole... <laughs> oh, just, come on, lads, come on, the cake gang, let's go and, let's go and cause some trouble. Like what? Stealing the, the Burger Bar Boys initially do sound like some sort of 60s surfer rock group. <laughs> But yeah, when you yeah, realise what they that, actually yeah. are, is yeah. very fucking horrible, <laughs> and you know, yeah, that's going to be the gritty reboot of Brum when Zack Snyder gets his hands on the Brum <laughs> universe. What the six-hour film that he's going to make? The... He's going to make a sequel to it where we're all like Max Cady in Cape Fear. We all come out ripped after Brum got us sent to jail. We're going to take it out. Uh, so yeah, Minder, it turns out, broken in and asked for a drink and he's literally given a drink from a flask of tea <laughs> uh, he wants to know what Cliff's after and Cliff says he wants to stay in Birmingham and that's all that Minder needed to hear uh, Flaxman tells Cliff that he's earned the job in New York with Sir Charles Furness Cliff's boss turning up because he's going to be the face of the deal with the city council instead of Cliff and Furness said we posted you to the provinces to which I say fuck you Furness but Cliff's decided he wants to stay in Birmingham, and at that point he says, because I've got a restaurant, and Furnace goes, another restaurant, and that's where I came up with the idea that literally Cliff's been going from city to city building, <laughs> shagging ladies and leaving them with restaurants <laughs> in each of them. Oh, he always leaves with a calling card of an electric mixer. <laughs> I hear that James Bond is great with culinary skills, you misread that much, Cliff. Oh no! <laughs> All this time! Well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> or that or that any of them with her or any of that yeah. <laughs> we're gonna get sued <laughs> by who <laughs> there's no one outside of bloody town listening to this <laughs> so Flaxman goes is gonna get to go to New York instead of uh, Cliff uh, Cliff speeds into the council in his mini to the Bromberger, which we get a high-speed high car chase where no one's actually being chased. <laughs> where we also find out that in Bromberger they have wine on tap. <laughs> amazing. You know, I thought the free soda dispenser in the Five Guys was good. But that... Oh, and like the weird sort of dumb waiter thing where it, 
it it takes the meat, which looks raw, from out the kitchen straight to the <laughs> table. I'm like, why? Cook it first. We also see Cunningham dousing two burgers with a lot, lots of alcohol and set them on fire before giving them to two children. I assume and <laughs> getting them on burger flambe. Uh, nice. Again, again, Cliff suddenly starts singing in front of everyone, and to the end, they haven't decided how much of a musical this film is. And then we pan across the beautiful Birmingham skyline, and the credits roll. And that was Take Me High. <laughs> I think if we'd had no emotional connect to Birmingham, this would have probably been our shortest podcast instead of possibly our longest one. Oh, th- you could have done the plot in that yeah. <laughs> The big problem I have is that they don't know how to write an emotional journey. Because Cliff seems to be going on one, but it never goes on a journey that we can see outside of that one song where he literally sings his emotions. It's like, at no point do I see him learning a lesson. You know, there's never a point where he changes from evil corporate bastard Cliff to good-hearted, you know, taken Birmingham to his heart Cliff. There was no clear journey on that. He was like, both of those Cliffs were existing in parallel to each other throughout the whole film. All the all the bad people in the film get what they want. Yeah. Uh, was there attempted a Frank Capra movie? <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no payoff to any of it. It's just... It is. It's literally a script that they threw together to sell an album. But we don't even know, like, how the burgers went. Like, did, was it a success, or was it just like you know, six months later is out of business? You know, it's just <laughs> maybe. Well, that was the sequel. That was what the yeah, sequel. Yeah, it, it been. just wasn't a film. <laughs> like you say, the plot. Could no, have been you're right. Three it, um, it wasn't a film. It wasn't a musical. Yeah. I would have preferred them to like commit to it and have them do song and dance numbers if they were going to do it. And if not, then don't have moments where he does break out and sing. It's yeah. got to be one or the other, and it never commits. But, it never commits to anything. But like you said, it is Cliff moves to Birmingham. Cliff is sad. Cliff meets girl. Cliff is happy. Makes burgers. Great. <laughs> you know that's that's the film. <laughs> Can you make an album out of that, Cliff? Yeah, I'll sort that out. Don't you worry. <laughs> you know. <laughs> How many burger-based songs do I have to do? Don't worry about that. We'll we'll do that. <laughs> that can't work out because it could have been anything. Like the songs weren't really yeah. related to the film. Was the album ready first? No. And they thought, ah, fuck it, let's make a film. Um, and like I said, I wish it had embraced the Birmingham of it more. Yeah. I wish it, because it seemed to make, like literally the poster is Cliff. It's not Cliff with his girlfriend or anything. It's Cliff in front of the Spaghetti Junction. So the Birmingham element was a gimmick, a key gimmick to it. So they should have embraced it. They should have made it about like the Brummy equivalent of local hero or, or something, or those sort of films where he's charmed by Birmingham and the people. But Birmingham's, it just, it doesn't do enough of that, you know? And obviously we're expecting more of it because we know Birmingham more, but mm. I think that'd be fun. You know, there's not a lot of films that are about Birmingham, particularly. There are films filmed in Birmingham, set in Birmingham, but they don't address life in Birmingham, really. Um, yeah, as I far did, as I can. I did remember. like that. That was one of my big, biggest positives. Just that it's about a town that see, yeah, yeah, that I live in. You know, it's yeah, yeah. I think I genuinely think though, if we talk about like. Say something nice about it. Well, I'll take the It's Only Money song. I thought that was a nice little song at the start. Are you going to take the City I song? Liked a lot of the, I liked a lot of the songs, and it was a it was an easy watch. I mean, <laughs> there wasn't much to watch, but yeah, it was, it was fine. Yeah. And Tom, what's something nice you would say? Uh, something nice I'd say. I actually quite enjoyed George Cole's performance as not Arthur Scargill. Um, <laughs> oh, I did like the end and, shot, actually. The end shot at the end where it's all, you know, just... Hands out of uh, Birmingham. That was a nice shot. 
Yeah, you're right there, Tom, actually, that they didn't commit to the politics either. It looked like he actually was going to say something proper, quite stridently pro-left-wing. <laughs> and then in the end, Cunningham becomes a lovable businessman and gets along perfectly well with the, the Labour Council leader. And it was like... And the whole thing was supposed to be about money and greed, but then the most rich, greediest person is a lovable city benefactor. And that didn't fit with what he was for the first half of the film. Yeah, I mean, by all means, make him eccentric, but at the same time, give him a... It, it, it felt like they didn't really commit to the characters much. I mean, Flaxman's character was greedy bastard, and that stuck. But, I mean, you, yeah, you could have had an interesting tale about this woman, Sarah, and her boyfriend slash possibly husband, Paul, who's an immigrant, and they could have had this really interesting backstory of them and trying to deal with running a a business together and it all falling apart in their marriage and everything. There is a better story there. Yeah. Well, yeah, Paul, the weirdly ripped Australian <laughs> chef, <laughs> you think he's being set up for being like the key antagonist, maybe, for Cliff, but maybe they put them together and just thought... Cliff is going to look so weak against this guy. We can't put him up against Cliff. But he, it'd be um, like that. I mean, it'd be like that poor fuck, that poor five foot six fucker in the Hunger Games who had to be compared to Liam Hemsworth for the whole yeah series. To be fair, things. to be fair though, <laughs> it, even Cliff's character kind of jumps back and forth between yeah likable and unlikable. I mean, yeah, you, you yeah. look at he doesn't make the transition from unlikable to likable. He just fluctuates between the two states like Schrodinger's arsehole. Like he's he's a merchant <laughs> banker, so obviously being a socialist, I see him as the enemy. But then he he kind of jumps back and forth, and then one minute he's supposed to be this likable knock around guy, and hey guys, let's all just get along together and meet halfway. And then another scene, he's in a fucking restaurant complaining about literally everything. Like, nothing's to his satisfaction, because he's used to the finer things in life, which makes me dislike him, but then you're supposed to like him, and then dislike him. I, I couldn't... I just couldn't find that that ground where I could understand who his character was supposed to be. Yeah. Like, it's good for characters to change, but the change has to be perceptible and relatable and understandable within the way that the film carries on its plot and its narrative, and it doesn't do that in all of the babyface turns in this whole film none of them are convincing uh it was a similar problem i actually had with one of the main characters in the last season of cobra kai he suddenly became good in the last episode and i was like they haven't earned this they haven't earned this yet so it's a, it's a common problem in much better films and tv shows than take me high so we never really should have expected that from it but i actually think if you have to make it better as well I think you could take the bare bones of this plot and some of the songs and turn it into quite a nice little stage musical that would probably do quite well at the Crescent Theatre. If you could buy the rights to it, you could probably remake it into something like quite affable and light-hearted and fun. Imagine a scene really. where Cliff first turns up in Birmingham and he asks someone where certain things were and they give him nothing but brummy colloquialisms and a deep accent yeah. and he just stares blankly yeah. and hasn't a clue what they're saying. That'd be funny. Yeah, and then when he finally embraces Birmingham, he can say to his girl, to his girl who will have a brummy accent, "You've gambled into my heart." Call a bab. <laughs> Call a yeah, bab. Yeah. That's all you need to do. <laughs> yeah, but so that's how we make but it better. They did. 
use machine guns to shoot a telly, so it's kind of forgiven for me. Yeah. <laughs> there's not, there's <laughs> yeah, not was, a telly tubby was... in it, but you know that's my second favorite. If you're, sh- yeah. you're using a machine gun to shoot a telly. Oh yeah. Yeah, if I'm doing the stage musical yeah. version of this in a few years' time, I'm keeping the machine Let's gun face in the it, telly. Where's anyone that's going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be such a weird thing. It would get attention, like inexplicably, some local <laughs> podcasters I mean... <laughs> have remade a Cliff Richard musical that Cliff Richard forgot he was in. <laughs> We've probably got to get a, a move on because you know Cliff he's not a young man anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. I thought you remember this episode. We do need to get a move on. So that's been. Take me high. I think at the end of the day, it, it was it, fine. look. If you if you if you're ranking it, my guess is at the end of the year, this is not going to be one of the ones contending for the worst of no. what we've seen. Yeah. So far, as far as I'm concerned, we've seen far worse. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's an IMDb. I gave it a rating of four, which I gave yeah, I gave it a three, but it's a I gave it a four, which compared to a lot of the films we've seen, is quite high ranking. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably give the the songs like a five out of ten, maybe a four or five out of ten. But the film dragged it down. Yeah, I mean, but if you were just listening to the album, the album's better than the. Yeah, I mean, film. it's no virtual sexuality, obviously. <laughs> no, it's no. Actually, no. I, I'd probably put it around the level of virtual sexuality. What, nine out of ten. Me. You're generous. <laughs> I I think I disliked virtual sexuality more because it, yeah, it, virtual sex it, yeah. it hits some emotion for me, whereas this was just. It just flew over me, and it felt like you jazz. Knocked, you knocked it the, the entire review out in the first thirty seconds. It's an album that turned into a film. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's nothing. You know, it's fine. And then we've spent probably by the time this is edited at least ninety minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, but first we have to do. Hey, you! Don't watch that. Watch this. But the one I was going to suggest because this film starts with a man traveling from London to Birmingham and ending with him on the. Spaghetti Junction. This film starts with a man travelling from Birmingham, ending up in London and starting on the Spaghetti Junction. And it's written by and directed by the man behind Peaky Blinders, Stephen Knight. It's the one actor film lock that all takes place in Tom Hardy's car as he's driving from Birmingham to London in the middle of the night and engaging with actors such as Olivia Coleman and Ruth Wilson and Andrew Scott on the phone with the various catastrophes he's trying to keep under control. It's really, really have you seen it? Uh, I have seen Locke. I really, really enjoyed it for such a simple concept. Yeah. Obviously, if you're going to have a concept like that, you've got to have an actor like Tom Hardy to deliver it because he can keep it low key whilst also being like really intense and high stakes. Perfect casting. Perfect. Like, it was so well written. I remember reading an Empire article about it, where I think it was the writer Stephen Knight. Yes, yes. Where he was talking about like when he used to drive from London to Birmingham because he was obviously used to be filming down there and would drive back home, and when he could see certain parts on the motorway that were familiar to him, like part like signs towards Sutton and Erdington. Yeah. Uh, he knew he was on his way home, and then that that that's what inspired him to make the film because it was like. I'm nearly there, I'm nearly there, I'm nearly there. There's always an eerie beauty I've found to driving uh, th- on a motorway in the middle of the night. It's always something oh, quite... Oh, my favourite time to drive. 
if you're with other people, it's pretty awesome sometimes. I'll tell you what, we'll save some of this. We'll do a later episode. We're going to do some mini episodes now between releases. And one of the ones I want us to do is Dwadwad Deep Dive, where we talk about one of our Dwadwad recommendations for like 10 to 20 minutes. So let's make Locke the first one of those that we do. Okay. So that can be something we'll do another time, and you'll get to listen to it on another week. But what you will be getting to listen to in May, as far as our Boob film reviews go, it'll be Tom hosting, and it's a film of Tom's choosing. And this this could be a contentious one because taking Tom's word that this is awful is going against a lot of critical opinions. So, Thomas, what are we going to be talking about in May? We'll be watching uh, a British production between Anne Reid, who you may remember from Din Ladies, and uh, the latest Mr. James Bond, Daniel Craig, uh, in a film called The Mother. It's part family drama part erotic nightmare and <laughs> I've been advised to watch the film for a long time by uh, my partner's friend and dear lord it was terrible so now I'm subjecting you pair onto it as well <laughs> and we'll discuss it at length We'll be curious to see which side we fall on in this. But after that, if people want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with you guys, Tom, Mike, whichever one of you wants it more. Who's going first? Well, I've kind of given up social media, so I don't care. <laughs> you didn't want that at all. I don't want it at all. I've kind of given up. <laughs> all right, then I'll jump in. You can talk to me if you want. Twitter handle is at Tom Hodkinson. Tom spelled T-H-O-M because... I've given up reasons to think now. Um, you can also find me uh, on Facebook, Tom Hodkinson. I'm on Instagram, at Tom Hodkinson. Or, you know, don't email me, because I think that's weird. But yeah, uh, Tom Hodkinson, that's who I am. Tom Hodkinson. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Aston, N for Neachels. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you put in at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. You can get in touch with this show at bowobpodcast at gmail.com. And bowobpod is our Twitter and Facebook handles. And we're on Instagram as well, aren't we, Michael? I believe, again, I'm kind of giving you up social that. media, but yes, we are. <laughs> if you want to find me, I've got enough friends, so... Uh, if i can if i can also plug given this is going out in april also going out in april will be a new film podcast that at least tom has promised to guest on at some point and given that it's about films and you don't like films mike maybe you won't be on this one but the invitation the invitation is to extend well unfortunately virtual sexuality has gone past its 21st birthday because this film this podcast is called 21st films where myself and a different guest will discuss films that were released 21 years ago starting with the year 2000 the 21st century is now old enough that we can do retrospectives on its oldest releases and you'll get to hear about discussions about films such as high fidelity pitch black and Ginger Snaps. Those are some of the films that are already recorded and in the bag. But anyway, there's nothing left to say at this point except that we've just spent the last oh, nearly two hours of our lives <laughs> making fun of a film that put Birmingham on the bloody map. <laughs> and we didn't. Whereas this week, I walked from my home to the uh, Spaghetti Junction. And that was honestly, honestly, the I, I looked at the time that I recorded it in, 
and I've genuinely done runs that were that distance slower. <laughs> so I'm not, and I was not walking fast. So <laughs> I will never be Cliff Richard in Take Me High. Thin. No, none of us will. So none of us will. Messed, uh, none of us will. But that's it for us now. We'll see you next month, motherfuckers. Bye. Oh, Bromberger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>